to Luke chapter 8 as we continue our study and series through the Gospel of Luke. I believe it was about this time last year we began this series. It's taken us a year to get through seven full chapters, so we may be here a little, for a little while, uh, but that's good. It's been a good series. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4 this morning, we will read through verses 15. This is God's holy word, without error, and is given to you. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The grass withers And the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. Let us ask the Lord's blessing upon his word and the preaching of it this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word written to us, which is breathed out by you. Every word is perfect and is able to make us wise unto salvation. We ask, Lord, this morning that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts of understanding. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You might say that this parable is the master key to the secrets of the kingdom of God. 
See, a master key is the key that gets you into all the doors of a building. Each individual door may have a unique key that unlocks it, but the master key opens them all. I have a key in my pocket right now, which is the master key to this church building. Now, each door in this building has a different lock, which takes a different key. But the master key will open each lock on every door in this building. In like manner, Jesus tells many parables concerning the kingdom of God. And each parable opens a door of revelation about the kingdom of God. But the parable of the sower has priority over the other parables because it helps you to understand the other kingdom parables. In verse 9, we see that the disciples did not initially understand this parable. And although Luke does not record it in his gospel, Mark informs us that Jesus responded to the disciples saying, Do you not understand this parable? How then? Will you understand all the parables? In referencing this, Herman Ritterboss states, The parable of the sower has priority over the others, not only as the first of a series, but also on account of its purport. In many respects, it is the starting point and the basis for the understanding of the following parables. End quote. So although each individual parable opens a door of revelation about the kingdom of God, the parable of the sower is the master key of the kingdom. And as we look at this this parable this morning, we're going to look at this passage in, in three different sections. The first section, we'll look at the parable itself as Jesus gives it to us. And then in the second section, we will look at the purpose of parables. And third, and finally, we will look at the purport of the parable or the explanation of the parable. The parable, the purpose, and then the purport. Well, as this passage begins, Luke tells us that a great crowd was gathering and people from town to town had come to him. and Come to hear Jesus. And Mark tells us that the crowd was so great and pressed in on Jesus that he went out into the sea and taught them from a boat. Last week we learned that he was traveling through cities and villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And it is evident here that his itinerant ministry was, was growing very rapidly. A great crowd was gathered around him. And then our text tells us that he taught this crowd in a parable. You see, one of the ways that Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God was through parables, as Jesus will explain momentarily. Jesus has has told other parables in the Gospel of Luke prior to this one. Remember the one that uh, Jesus told of taking the, the log out of our own eye before being concerned with the speck that is in another's. He's told other parables leading up to this one, but this was the first of the kingdom parables. 
where Jesus explains what the kingdom of God is like. Sometimes before, before telling them a parable, he would say, to what is the kingdom like? Or to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? And then he would tell a parable. The kingdom of God is like. This parable is known as the parable of the sower. It is the first of the kingdom parables. And the contents of it would have been familiar to all of the people that were pressed in on Jesus that day. They lived in an agricultural atmosphere. The sower went out to sow his seed. This is a scene that everyone would have been familiar with. They would have often seen a farmer out sowing his seed by hand. But I think that the farmers in the crowd would have known better than anyone else that what was most important was where the seed was sown. They would have understood precisely what Jesus was talking about that day with respect to sowing seed. Well, he first spoke of the seed that fell along the path. In the fields of ancient Palestine where they would plant their crops, there would be certain paths where they walked. You didn't want to walk over your crops and damage the plants, and so you would walk along certain paths. They also had certain paths through the fields so that in traveling, getting from one place to another, rather than walking around fields, they could walk through them. There were paths That were walked on over and over again. And as they were walked on, it would stamp down and pack in the soil till it was completely hardened. Now, I have a a Labrador retriever and and Labrador retrievers are, are notorious for running the same paths over and over again in your yard. And in my backyard along the fence line, there is a path that my dog runs consistently and no grass can grow there. Because she has run along that path so many times that the the soil is too hard for the grass to grow back over it. Likewise, any seed that landed upon the path could not penetrate the compacted soil. And the result was that it would be trampled on by passerbys and eaten by the birds of the air. So that is the seed that fell along the path. Second, Jesus spoke of the seed that fell upon the rocky soil. Now, Jesus is not talking here about a soil that has some rocks in it or some pebbles in it. He's referencing a difficulty that farmers in Palestine often experience with their fields. Much of their land was a thin blanket of soil. that settled over a thick layer of bedrock. And the problem with this scenario is that the soil didn't run deep enough to allow the plants to be firmly rooted in it. And so as the seed grew up, Jesus said it withered away because it had no moisture. Both Matthew and Mark add to this, noting that when the sun rose up, the plant was scorched and withered away. What is being communicated here is that because the soil is is shallow, whatever moisture it receives is quickly dried up by the sun. 
You see, that thin layer, that thin blanket of, of soil was not enough to let the water that came down with the rains really soak in. And the roots couldn't grow down deep. And so when the sun comes out, it quickly dries up the water that is there. It couldn't run deep into the soil. And so when the sun comes out and takes up the moisture, it blares down on the plant and the plant withers up because it had no moisture. That is the seed that fell in the rocky soil. But other seed, Jesus says, falls among the thorns. And Jesus said that the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Anyone who has ever planted a garden or cares for their lawn knows that weeds grow far better and far faster than the desired plants do. And without the removal of those weeds, they will spread and choke out the good plants. Without removal of the weeds, the crop is essentially doomed. The farmer who who planted grain knew that if he had a field filled with thorns, that they would grow with violence and would choke out the seed before it could produce fruit. And so this is the seed that fell among the thorns. The final scenario that Jesus spoke of was the seed that fell upon the good soil. And in this soil, the seed that is sown thrives. Matthew and Mark note that it would produce a harvest of 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. But Luke jumps straight to the last. He jumps straight to the 100-fold yield. He simply wants to make the point that the good soil results in an abundant harvest. And the conclusion then of this parable is that though the seed at times falls upon the hardened paths, the shallow rocky soils, and the thorn-infested soils, it also falls upon the good soil producing a bountiful harvest. That's the point of the parable. And as Jesus closes out this parable, he says to those listening, those who were there present that day, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which is a great segue as Jesus transitions into the purpose of the parables that he tells. Now this statement, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This statement is not talking about possessing physical ears to hear with. He is addressing those who have spiritual ears to hear and to understand the truths that he is talking about. What it essentially means is don't just listen, but take heed at what I am saying. I'm jumping ahead of myself here for just a moment, but he is saying, allow what I am telling you to enter your heart like the seed that enters the good soil. Now, as we continue in this passage, it might appear by the disciples lack of understanding that they did not have spiritual ears to hear. 
They didn't understand. They had to ask Jesus what the parable meant. But I think in verse 9, their desire to understand the parable proves that they did, in fact, have ears to hear. See, those of us who are of faith, when we read the word, we do not always understand its meaning. But we have the desire to study and to learn its meaning. We have spiritual ears to hear. Well, so too did the disciples. And Jesus affirms this when he tells them that to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. In other words, you have spiritual ears. And so I will explain the meaning of the kingdom parables to you. But then he goes on to tell them his purpose for speaking in parables. He says, but for others, they, that is the secrets of the kingdom of God, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, this would seem to be contrary to what most people think is the reason that Jesus told parables. It's often thought that Jesus taught in parables to make his teachings simple and easy to understand. That is why Jesus teaches in parables then in this situation we would have to conclude that either the disciples were not very bright or Jesus was just not a very good teacher. They don't understand. And although the disciples were slow to understand at times, doesn't sound much different than you or me. They may have been slow at times, but I don't think that we can conclude that either of these are true. In fact, as we look at why Jesus told parables, as we look at the very purpose for which he explains, he notes that he is attempting to prohibit some from seeing and understanding. So how do we make sense of Jesus' purpose for speaking in parables? Well, it might help if we define what a parable is. The English word parable comes from the, the Greek word parabole. And the root of this word is balo or baleo, which means to throw or to cast. And the prefix para is attached to it, which means alongside of. And put together, it means to throw or cast alongside of something. A parable is something that Jesus throws alongside a body of teaching. They are short stories that become analogies or illustrations for whatever Jesus is teaching on. The stories themselves are easy enough to follow. But the way that Jesus used them made their implications, made their meanings difficult to determine. Phil Riken says it this way. If we define a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, it is the heavenly part that is hard to understand. So what all of this means is that parables have a twofold purpose as Jesus uses them in his teaching. 
On the one hand, they help to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. And for those who have spiritual ears to hear, Jesus helps them understand their meaning. But on the other hand, they conceal their meaning to others that do not have spiritual ears to hear. And so Jesus uses them both to reveal and to conceal the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now the natural question we might have is, why would Jesus ever conceal the secrets of the kingdom of God from anybody? And Jesus answers that question for us when he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, saying, In seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That is why we read Isaiah 6 earlier in the service. See, that chapter provides us with a great vision that Isaiah had of the Lord in the temple. And in that vision, Isaiah receives his calling, his commission as a prophet. But it is perhaps the most unique calling that any prophet had ever received. See, when the Lord asked, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. And then the Lord told Isaiah to go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of the people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You see, in Isaiah's day, Israel had rebelled against God and broken his covenant with them. And so God brought forth a covenant lawsuit against them. And as a part of their judgment, he would harden them in their unbelief. In Jesus' day, this covenant lawsuit against Israel was coming to or into its final phase. With a hardening that would lead to the rejection and crucifixion of their own Messiah. And so Jesus taught in parables so that in seeing they may not see. And in hearing they may not understand. Only to those who had spiritual ears to hear would he explain the meaning of these parables. So then. What was the purport? What was the explanation of this parable? See, the purpose of the parable was to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God to those who had ears to hear and to conceal it from those who did not. But what is its meaning? What secrets about the kingdom did it expose or reveal? Well, some will tell you that this passage is about the soils. Since the seed is the word of God and the different soils are the different types of hearts that the word falls upon, 
Many commentators say that this parable should be called the parable of the soils and not the parable of the sower. But we must not forget that the purpose for which Jesus told parables was to explain the secrets of the kingdom, not the secrets of man's heart. See, this parable will tell us much about our own hearts, and we will look at that momentarily. But this parable is first and foremost about the sower who reveals the kingdom of God. You see, Christ is the sower, and the seed is the word. In Matthew's account, he calls it the word of the kingdom. For it is the word which contains the mystery of the kingdom. That Christ has come sowing the seed is evidence that the kingdom of God has begun with his coming. Those who had eyes to see would recognize that in Jesus the kingdom of God had begun. It was being ushered in. And the kingdom would go the way of the seed. For although Satan would take away the seed from many hardened hearts, and trials would bring to light that some had no roots, and the riches and pleasures of life would choke out the fruit of many, nevertheless, some of the seed will fall upon the good soil, and as a result will bring about a plentiful harvest." The harvest, which is the consummation of the kingdom. See, those who understand this understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Namely, that salvation has come and is being proclaimed and will bring about the great end time harvest of believers. This parable, first and foremost, is the parable of the sower. It is about the redemptive historical accomplishment of Christ, the sower, who had come ushering in the kingdom by proclaiming the good news of salvation and that it was at hand. Beloved, the kingdom of God has begun. And we know this today, not only because Christ was proclaiming it, as we see from our previous passage and the one this morning, but also because he accomplished the good news of the kingdom through his death, through his life, death and resurrection. He accomplished salvation for his people from their sins. This good news was, by and large, rejected by hardened Israel. And the kingdom was taken from them and was given to a people that would come from every tongue, tribe, and nation, which included Israel. Israel has a share in the kingdom today. You see, it is a gospel to both Jew and Gentiles. The kingdom is no longer an ethnic kingdom to the Jews. It is unto Jew and Gentile, to people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. 
God's covenant lawsuit against Israel had come to its final stage with the rejection of the Messiah. And Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 11 in this way. He says, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, Paul writes, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Whether Jew or Gentile, the entrance into the kingdom comes by faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. Resting in Him alone For salvation from our sins. You see just like Israel. We have all rebelled against God. And broken his covenant. But for those who have eyes to see. And ears to hear. There is an entrance. Into the kingdom. Jesus himself. Is the very gate. To that kingdom. You must enter through him alone, through faith alone, which is by grace alone. This this parable may primarily be about the sower. Secondarily, it is about the soils as well. And so it's appropriate to examine the condition of our hearts as we look at this parable. How do you respond to the word? Just like a seed, the word has life giving power within it. But is the condition of your heart prepared to receive the word? Or is it so hard that the word can never penetrate it and Satan snatches it away as quickly as it is sown? If this is where you find yourself, understand that the problem is not with the word. The problem is with your heart. Perhaps your heart is hardened because you just don't want to take the time to think about eternal matters. Perhaps it is because you've made yourself out to be your own God. Perhaps it is because you find it offensive to be told that you are a sinner in need of salvation. Humility is a difficult thing. But whatever the reason may be, you find yourself in a perilous condition if your heart is like the hardened soil. 
For not only do you have a problem with your heart, but you have an enemy who will do everything he can to keep you from reflecting on the word. And trust me, Satan works especially hard at doing this right here in the church. J.C. Ryle writes, Nowhere does he labor so hard to stop the progress of that which is good and to prevent men and women from being saved. From him come wandering thoughts and roving imaginations, listless minds and dull memories, sleepy eyes and fidgety nerves, weary ears and distracted attention. In all these things, Satan has a great hand. People wonder where they come from and marvel how it is that they find sermons so dull and remember them so badly. They forget the parable of the sower. They forget the devil. End quote. Well, maybe your problem is not with a hard heart but with a shallow heart. Maybe you have spent a little time thinking about the gospel and you understand the truth of the good news and it even brings you joy at first. But then when the trials of life come, you will fall away. How important is it for us, for believers, to share with new believers that the Christian life is not free from suffering? The parable of the sower teaches us that trials will come. Those who preach the prosperity gospel fail to teach their people that the rains will pour and the sun will beat down upon us. Trials will come. But does not the plant need the rain and the sun in order to grow? See, our trials, our suffering will cause us to grow up in maturity into Christ. If our roots run deep. Trials are the test of true faith. If all you have is a shallow, emotional response to the gospel, but do not truly take hold of it, your roots in the gospel do not run deep, then your faith, which appears to be true, will eventually wither away. But if neither of these two conditions explain your heart, then perhaps your problem is with an infested heart. You know the good news, but the riches and the pleasures of this life are just better news to you in the end. And they consume your life and choke out any fruit before it matures. Speaking of... This, Jesus said on another occasion, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, like the previous heart, this is not a truly believing heart. 
Most of us have probably seen someone come to faith or, or appear to have come to faith. And then when life got tough, they turned away. Or they saw them consumed and choked by the pleasures of this life. The Apostle John tells us that these people are not truly saved. In 1 John 2.19, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. See, those who truly believe are like the final soil. They produce fruit and persevere to the end. They are those with hearts of good soil. They receive the word when it is proclaimed and good fruit comes forth from their lives. They're like the disciples who gave their lives to follow him. They're like the women in the previous passage that we looked at last week who supported Christ and his kingdom by their own means. None of these were perfect. But they produced fruit and persevered to the end. The soil of your heart is not ready to receive the good news of the kingdom. If you do not have eyes to see and ears to hear, then what should you do? Well, it's tempting for me to tell you to prepare your hearts for the receiving of the word. But you're not the sower, are you? You are the soil. And the soil does not plow and till itself, does it? It's the sower. It's the farmer who does this. And so you must pray to the sower of the seed to prepare your heart to be good and ready to receive the good news of the kingdom. You see, Christ not only sows the seed, but he sends out his spirit to plow the soil of our hearts so that those who are his might enter the kingdom by faith. This is the work of God. Salvation is of the Lord. Christ sends forth his spirit. He takes our heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh. He gives us new life. It is the spirit that works faith and repentance in us that we might turn to the Lord in salvation. Beloved, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed to you this morning. How will you respond? Let me leave you with some food for thought. Phil Riken closes his chapter on this passage with these words. Usually when people listen to a sermon, they make some kind of evaluation. I thought that was a really good sermon, they say. Or perhaps they say that it wasn't good at all. Either way, the sermon is what they want to assess. But according to the parable of the soils, it's really God's word that evaluates us. Because the way we respond shows what is in our hearts. 
Good hearing is just as important as good preaching. If the gospel is truly preached, then what we say about the sermon says more about us than it does about the sermon. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sower, for sending to us the sower who is sowing his seed even today as the gospel is proclaimed. Our Lord and Savior is continuing to sow the seed. We thank you for bringing and ushering in the kingdom and we long for the day that it is consummated at the return of Christ. When we might dwell with you forever in eternity. But we pray, Lord, that you will make us ready always to hear your word. That we might grow up and produce fruit. Ready to be harvested on the great day of Christ's return. May we also be ready always to cast out, to throw out the word of God, that we might be ready to share the good news of the kingdom of God with those who know you not. We pray, Lord, that you, your spirit will go before us and will prepare hearts. May we do all that we do today and for the rest of our lives unto your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.